Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Boss Barista. I am Jasper Wild. And I'm Ashley Rodriguez. And we've got an exciting episode for you today. We're going to talk about race. Dun dun dun. Dun dun dun. We are going to try to address a lot of the things that we've noticed in a lot of social media context, a lot of Facebook posts, a lot of kind of reactions we've seen people have when people of color or anyone in a marginalized group really, um, but more specifically people of color, just because that seems to be the most divisive among people, um, say something about what's happening to them um, and how white people lose their shit for silly reasons. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like over, you know, the course of history, the conversation of race has been controlled by white people. And um, we're seeing, not that people are just now talking about it, but that we're seeing a lot more publicized views and we are viewing a lot more um, racial violence on a regular basis. And when we talk about racial violence and racism in general... It's seeming now that the conversation is not like being controlled by the white people that a lot of white people get really upset and defensive and angry and judgmental and also like flat out racist in their comments and conversation all the while saying, I'm not racist. (laughs) Mm. Um, And it just seems like. We need to sit down and have a conversation in particular with those folks who are aggressive and ashamed or feeling guilty or feeling like, I don't want to talk about it. So I think for me, the first thing that I want to unpack is this idea of calling out because it's something that's super uncomfortable to be the receiving end of because... It's very hard to not take personally, which is something that I really want to go backwards on and Mm -hmm. think about. So even when Jasper and I were reflecting on this episode and we were talking about what could happen, like what's the worst thing that could happen? Um, We could get things wrong. That would be bad. We Mm -hmm. could make a mistake and say something that's not true. That would be bad. But when people say to us, hey, you did this wrong or hey, like you fuck this up, it's not to hurt us personally. And I think that's what happens a lot in any really big discussions about issues of marginalization is that when someone says a true thing about their lived experience, someone else in the non-marginalized group needs to say, no, that's not true. Or as we saw a couple of weeks ago that like, oh, it's only a couple of bad people. This doesn't exist in our culture as a whole, Um, which That's uh, being called out sucks. Like we know that like it sucks yeah. to be told that you were wrong about something or that you messed up something. And it's something that I am trying to conceptualize myself because I'm wrong. Jasper and I have been wrong before. We were just wrong about um, a, a previous episode that we recorded and someone told us. And that was initially my first reaction. And I think Jasper um, felt it too was like, Oh my God, like, 
why are you attacking me? But I'm so upset. I'm, I'm so embarrassed. I can't right. do anything right. I shouldn't say anything at all. So it's like these two <laughs> dualities of like, oh my God, like what? Like, how could, how could I be wrong in this? But then the other side is like this deep shame of like, oh my God, like I can never speak again. Like mm-hmm. I need to like, like shut down the podcast. It's over. We're done. <laughs> like the A good like thing that I come back to is, um, it, yes, it's not personal and they're doing me a favor. This is something that they have taken the time to sit down and articulate like why I have like hurt them or, or like perpetuated some long-standing history that I might be unaware of. And they're telling me because they care about me and they don't want me to do it again. And they trust that I'm not going to um, get defensive or, you know, sidestep it and that I'm going to be able to hear it and be like, oh, I'm so sorry. I did something wrong. And not to just be like, feeling i can't deal with this (laughs) right because for whatever feeling of inadequacy you feel when you're called out imagine imagine what it's like to be on the other end of that we're like wow people continue to say wrong things about my race or my gender or my this and people just keep perpetuating these incorrect ideas um i think Mm -hmm. Uh, one of the things that I thought I was really interested in um, that someone posted on Facebook, I don't even remember what it was for, but it's that idea of like being called out is almost like someone's telling you there's like something in your teeth. Yeah. And it's, I'm not telling you to embarrass you, but like there's something fix in your, your teeth. Face. Like fix your face. <laughs> and that's, that's, that's all it is, is that when people take the time to, to say like, Hey, like what you said was racist or maybe like not the right thing to say in this context. It's really to correct something we, we something that someone believes can be fundamentally fixed and something that someone fundamentally thinks can be better because there are lost causes and there are people who are like, you're a crazy racist person. Like, I can't fix you because you're so wrong, blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't know. It doesn't if you, mean I won't try though. I won't try. <laughs> it doesn't mean I won't try, but at the same time, like, Acknowledge the grace that someone takes to to say something to you yes. when you do mess up. Yes. Because that is it is really hard. And I'm not saying it's not hard. It took me a long time to feel like when I wasn't when I was being called out that it wasn't about me. And I had to remember that and remind myself of that. Cause instinctually, naturally, when someone says you did something wrong, you wanna say why you were right. No, I about, wasn't. About everything. <laughs> but like about everything. Like even like a math problem you might have done wrong, yeah. but like think about it like that, like a math problem. Like two plus two will never be six. Like it's okay, you're gonna be wrong sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, so trying to get more comfortable with the idea of being called out as not a personal attack. Um, that's number one, I think, to remember. So if someone tells you that you said something racist, do not argue with them about how it was not racist. Mm-hmm. Please take the time to acknowledge that your friend or your coworker or your loved one or anyone in your social circle took the time to tell you that as opposed to letting you do something wrong and say it to other people. Mm-hmm. It'd be like if I let Jasper leave my home with food in her face and, <laughs> and she just like met all these people. You know what's funny? Yeah. You actually have something in your teeth. Oh my gosh. <laughs> 
Thank you, Jasper. I wasn't going to say anything, but then we're Jasper talking about it. Jasper was going to let me leave this house with <laughs> no, food. All right. It's Jasper's not bad, but this. <laughs> All right. I'm going to fix my face while Jasper brings up more points. <laughs> okay. So this is a mandatory meeting about race. So all too often, white people are not involved in the current conversation about racial violence, and we don't have the tolerance for it. So I'm thinking about like tolerance, like tolerance for heat or tolerance for pain, not necessarily like I am tolerant of different worldviews. So you can like increase your tolerance for pain or increase the tolerance of like um, a medication if you're exposed to a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more over time. Um, and this concept has been really helpful for me when I get overwhelmed. I'm like, oh, I can't think or talk about this anymore because I'm, I'm, I just can't handle it. I'm just like, okay, next time expose yourself to a little bit more. Um, cause we don't have high tolerance. So, uh, the low tolerance for conversation about whiteness and oppression is called white fragility. Woo woo. Um, I want to read this definition of okay. white fragility because I had never read the person. The person who coined it is Dr. Robin D'Angelo, and he's a white critical uh, racial and social justice educator who created the term white frag fragility. So this is his definition. White people in North America live in a social environment that protects and insulates them from race-based stress. This insulated environment of racial protection builds white expectation for white for racial comfort, while at the same time lowering the abil ability to tolerate racial stress, leading to what I refer to as white fragility. Here's the main point. White fragility is a state where even a minimum amount of racial stress becomes intolerable, triggering a range of defensive moves. So we see this often. Yeah, I think the whole idea behind this like post-racial society that we talk about in, in white circles is that we don't see race because it's so intolerant to us to even contend with it. Right. That like, even like... I don't know. Did you ever watch the Colbert Report with Stephen um, Colbert? Yes. Uh, yeah, a little. He would he would kind of make this joke all the time. Like, oh, I don't see race. And that was like part of his. People say that seriously. I know. But I he would say it color. as a joke. And I realized, oh, he's saying it as a joke because people say it seriously. Yeah. And I think the idea behind that of like, I don't see color is that you treat everybody equally and... Because, of course, if you saw color, you would treat them unequally because you're racist. <laughs> right. But part of it, too, I think, is that we've just become so intolerant to the idea that we can talk about race in a meaningful way that we just have to like. But then at the same time, we know that racism is wrong in mm -hmm. this very like base base reality way so that we have to just like toss it all out entirely. Like yeah. that's like for me when I think about how how white people deal with race, that's like the main rhetoric. It's like I don't see race or that's just like a group of Americans or like why don't you just hire the best person for this job? Yeah. Like we just throw the idea of race out thinking can't like, even tolerate we, like, about can't, thinking about it. We like can't think about it at all. It's just so abhorrent to like our understanding of the world. And I think that that white fragility 
um, definition that you gave, like 100% hit that on the head that like even a little bit of thinking about race for a lot of white people is just so like, my hair is on fire. I can't do this. Um, Which, you know, flip it the other way around. Like, imagine if your hair is on fire all the time, you know? (laughs) Like, well, not your hair is on <laughs> oh, okay. fire. But like, I was see, like, wait, what? Oh, I uh, get it. <laughs> yeah, but you see what I'm saying? Like, for 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 whites, because they are in this, like, insulated kind of bubble where they don't have to deal with race-based stress, then you have, like, the opposite, where people of color and specifically African-Americans or black people um, have to deal with it all the time. So... I don't know what I don't know there. <laughs> no, that's but I guess the, those are just two facts. Yeah. So I just thought that that was a really interesting definition to really contend with because it reminds me so much of like kind of the way that as as a as a child, like you kind of were taught about race, like, oh, everyone's the same and everyone's mm-hmm. this. And like you, you're not even allowed to like, like talk about race. Yeah. Um, I think you even mentioned this in the last episode we were doing where like. Um, on the office, Michael Scott is like, you can't say you're Mexican. Like, yeah, like you can't even t- like refer to those things because like we have to put them out of our head because they're too, they're too hard. It's like, oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. I think that in the current state of white America right now, the things that we accept as racist is loudly shouting the N word to someone. Mm-hmm. We all know that's racist. Being openly involved in the KKK. And that's about it. That's it. Everything else, like. Everything else, it's like, oh, well, you don't know where that person is coming from. Or um, if you bring up, like, white privilege, people are like, but I worked hard for where I've gotten. And just a multitude of defenses come up. Uh, and I saw this, this book um, at a bookstore, and it was called Racism Without Racists. And I did not sit down and read the whole thing, but I did flip through it. And it, it was basically like there's all these uh, that racism is like a social system that is in place, but no one's willing to to take the blame for it. No one's willing to be like, oh, like, actually, that might be that might be a little bit on me. So in this episode, we're kind of like we're kind of saying that like, OK, I'm taking responsibility for for like a system that has profited from from genocide, from slavery, from um, excluding people, from legal systems and like not giving them access to property and resources and <laughs> jobs and things like that. So, but it can be like extremely uncomfortable. So my God, there's so many. So many. One thing is people can feel shame. Okay, there we go. That's a good one. That's a good place to start. So you're confronted with with a racial inequality and you as a person who have benefited from that racial discrepancy can feel like, oh my God, I am so sorry. I have such shame. Like, oh no, like what am I supposed to do? There's nothing for me to do. I'm so shamed. That was a good impression of the white shamed person. I've, I've been there before. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're hearkening from past experiences. I am. Mm. Yeah, because you just get this like, no, no, it can't like, be. Like, it can't be me. I can't no. have done this. Exactly. It can't. This is this is too much, too much on my hands. Um, And 
if we express that shame and like kind of dominate the conversation, like when talking about race with other people, not just not just white people, it can be pretty triggering because it's not really about your feelings of shame should not run the conversation because right. for so long it's always been about white people. Their priorities, their feelings, their needs, their money, their whatever, penises, like <laughs> everything is about the white person. So if you're talking about race and then the entire conversation is dominated by you feeling ashamed and by telling all your friends or, you know, loved ones who are people of color, like, I'm so sorry for what my ancestors did. It just not cute. Valid feeling. Yes. But that's like something that needs to not be um, part of a like, discussion. Yeah. Or like left unchecked. Right. Cool. So another feeling is uh, avoidance yes. where you just don't have the tolerance. You don't even have the emotional strength to feel your shame <laughs> and you just want to exit the conversation, um, exit the, the, the feeling about it, or you might say, you might like dismiss it like, oh no, like that's not me or I, I wouldn't do that or I'm a good person. You just like avoid, avoid, avoid and are not really open to listening at all. That's like the real problem. Mm-hmm. If you're avoiding the conversation and if you're avoiding maybe even being called out or or talking about racial violence, you're just bo- bottom line is you are not prioritizing what other people are going through. And you're saying it's more important for me to vanish than to listen and to hear you. Right. It's more important for me to validate my own feelings than it is for me to validate yours. Yeah. So it's like so I, selfish. It is. It's incredibly selfish to be like, wait, but like I need to know that I'm still a good person. And when somebody is saying something about a lived experience they have and you're saying like, but but I'm still okay, like I'm still good, like it's it's yeah, you're completely just invalidating another person's experience by saying that yours is more important, which is kind of the whole point of a person speaking out about their own experiences mm-hmm. is that like you haven't listened to this for so long and now now I'm saying it and you're still unwilling to hear it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's real and that happens a lot. I feel like every time I go on Facebook, anytime anyone posts something about like, look at all these men deciding legislature on yeah. like birth control or like, look at all these white people like making like prison reform laws and yeah. people are like, but, but, and I'm like, no, like that's still a fact. That's still someone like, that's still a fact that like there are white people, white people who are deciding meaningful change for like, for, for like systems that almost disproportionately affect people of color. Mm-hmm. Um, there are still, groups of men who decide what happens to women's bodies. And like, there is no excuse for that. Yeah. Yeah. These like, another thing that I've been interested in, like thinking about or talking about is um, like, what is considered, we we just went over what's considered racist nowadays. Um, But what was considered racist in, uh, 1864 or 1920 or 1960 and how that changes 
um, what we as a society are ready to say is racist or not. So I'm thinking about like in the in the 50s and before that, like slavery has ended, yet there's segregation and there's a literally signs over drinking fountains or, you know, like a part of the bus where white people sit and where black people sit and the, how much that is just like a holdover from slavery. And we hear people say, we hear white people say, if I was alive back then, I never would have let that happen. That's racist. I know that's racist. And here we are today where some people are not standing up and saying, hey, that's racist. Like, we can't tolerate that. So I kind of get, oh, here's my white fragility. I kind of get terrified that there are things I'm doing now that in 50 years people will be like, I would never do that. That is, so it it just like, well, yeah, of course. Like that's, I feel like I notice this a lot, not to derail the conversation, but I notice this a lot in issues of um, sexuality and gender identity. Like this is, this is fun. Watch like a like like watch a Judd Apatow movie from like two thousand four. Now who's that? Judd, he you know, he did like the forty year old virgin and like all those like bro movies. Oh, and like he's a director. He's the director. Okay, and like this is not to throw shade at him in any way. Not that he would. If you're listening, Judd Apatow, you need I'd, to hear this. You need to hear <laughs> this. You've made some fucked up but, shit. <laughs> but like in two thousand four, like there's this part of the forty year old virgin where like. It's Paul Rudd and Seth Rogen, and they just have like a, you know how I know you're gay? You know how I know you're <gasps> gay? Oh, right. And it's something that like 2004, Ashley, like what was I, 17, mm-hmm. had like no problem with. Mm-hmm. Uh, like 2017, Ashley, every time I every time I think about that, that part of the movie, I cringe. Or another movie that does not age well is Ace Ventura Pet Detective. Oh, my God. And it's because... For a big portion of it, Jim Carrey pretends to be like mentally incapable, and they make fun of people with mental, oh, um, yeah, like mental uh, disabilities. Uh-huh. And you're just like, what? Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things now that you'd be like, oh my god, we would never say that now. But like in 1993, when Ace Ventura came out, like we were all laughing our butts off. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Friends gets me. Oh, like gosh. Friends has some really, oh, really so offensive homophobic. stuff. Um, but it's, it's like where I think people were speaking up then. And that's why it's so important now when we, when something is, um, considered borderline at this time, it's important for all of us to be like, that's not borderline. Actually, that's That's bad. Not okay. Yeah. Because we help shape and like drive our society forward. And I mean, we're here in the U.S., a lot of, for good or for bad, a lot of the world looks to us to see what we're doing socially because we're so wild and crazy out here. Um, and I hate to say, I hate to think about the example we're setting now, but I'm not willing to say that it's going to it's gonna continue this way. Like, no, like we're speaking up. Right. Lots of people are speaking up. Um, so when there is, coming back to like the coffee industry, when there is something that, is borderline not okay. I'm thinking about, we we talk a lot about hiring for diversity. Right. Because it seems to be like something that's trending or maybe enough of us are saying something about it where we're thinking about it. And if, if you are not talking to 
members of the community around you, if you are not posting um, in your store when you're hiring for someone, if you are not uh, going on to Craigslist or things like that to also get applicants, that is a that's a borderline thing. You're just kind of saying that you are satisfied with the, the way it is. gene pool that we've like ugh, just kind of got everyone in the right. same of the same kind floating around just sort of like switching companies it seems like <laughs> well something that so i've been thinking a lot about this especially because i interview a lot of people for barista magazine and one question that i've I realized was a borderline question and I stopped asking is that is like, how do you hire for diversity? Um, because I finally got an answer that told me to stop asking that question was you just do it. Um, I don't know where I was going with that, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I agree. There's like this. So in that conversation, um, something that, um, the person that I interviewed mentioned was like hiring within the echo chamber and, that just blew my mind because I think it really applies to a lot of what we do in coffee just in general is that we speak to the echo chamber. So it's really easy to validate a lot of what we think we're doing because we speak to the same people over and over. Um, and that's what's kind of really like magnificent about like this moment right now in coffee for me mm -hmm. is that I'm finally hearing from people who I've never heard from before. Yeah. And I'm finally hearing from people who are like, this is not all okay. Yeah what I'm seeing that makes me a little nervous is people reacting negatively to that. Yeah. And, and this is maybe is going to be a segue into like another thing that I think we should mention too, is that when we do kind of meet those people who are having issues accepting like, Hey, like coffee is kind of racist slash a lot racist or coffee, tends to shit on like our lowest paid members. Um, what makes me nervous is seeing people who have been in power for so long, not listen to that. Mm -hmm. um, and then for people who maybe have a little bit of social capital to have to be those people that they turn to, to listen. So I'm, I'm wondering what you think about in terms of being, you know, the responsibility of advocates and who, who should people turn to to find out information? Where should people turn to find information? And what what sort of work are people do we want people to do to be well informed? Okay, yeah, I have a list for this. I know you do. Actually, this is like the bulk of what I spent my time preparing for. So, this is your white people to do list. You want to pull your head out of your ass and not <laughs> and not be <laughs> and not such a you know fragile little guilty um, like carrying around your privilege like it's a you know hazard kind of a person. You want to like take what you've got and you want to make the make a better change. Right. So here's here's what you got to do. So number one is. Accept that if you have lived most of your life with other white people, with maybe a few people of color sprinkled in there, you probably have a very low tolerance for talking about race. Um, and this one was hard for me to accept because I'm like, oh, I'm so tolerant. I'm just 
wonderful and I'm liberal, so I'm probably fine. No. Yeah, like what work are you actually doing? Well, not I mean, not you. Oh, okay. that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> no, but like there is this kind of like ease in being like, of course I'm not racist because I, you know, I voted for Barack Obama or oh like I did this or <laughs> I did that. And I think you're you really questioning your tolerance for racial discomfort was really interesting. It's like, how much of that do you actually expose yourself to? Like how much, how much do you actually think about what other people go through and what Mm -hmm. systems in place keep people back? Mm -hmm. And what do you do to change that? Yeah. Um, So something that, yeah, there was like this, um, uh, there was this idea that I recently, like once, once you like expose yourself to more, um, uh, race-based stress, as Dr. D'Angelo put it, uh, you start to realize that like the entire world and like everything everybody says is a little bit racist or a lot of bit racist. And one thing that I like recently kind of caught was um, this, the idea of good neighborhoods and bad neighborhoods and that you just, if you are a person who's white, who's lived with mostly white people, then your idea of a bad neighborhood, it doesn't, it doesn't often have anything to do with anything other than it has black and Latino people in it. Oh, for sure. Poor, poor black and Latino people. And that, because you can't even say like drugs because drugs are up in white neighborhoods too. You can't say crime because not necessarily every poor neighborhood has crime. And like, what is crime? Graffiti? Like, yeah, you know, like it's exactly it's just like this totally racist idea that like, oh, I don't I don't want to you be careful out there. Mm-hmm. That's a bad neighborhood. And my my girlfriend Carly lives in D.C. right now and she lives in a part of the neighborhood where there's a lot of black people and she was taking an Uber ride home or Lyft. She uses Lyft. No more Uber. <laughs> mm-hmm. She was taking a Lyft ride home and her Lyft driver was like, oh, what are you doing in Trinidad? That's not a good neighborhood. She's like, I live here. You you can't say that. That's how, like, how hurtful is that to everybody who does live in that neighborhood? Right, it's exactly. That's something I think a lot about with schools. When parents talk about, like, living in certain neighborhoods and going to good schools, and I'm always like, how how can you be okay with like putting your kid in essentially segregated school? Yeah. Like that's what you're saying is that you are keeping your child in this like really safe, all white school Mm -hmm. that you feel okay about and you feel okay about propagating inequities at, you know, at childhood Mm -hmm. where like children should have no responsibility to, to fix this, I don't know. Yeah, that, that one, this one, this is one where I'm just getting angry just talking yeah. about it. No, you're um, right. So if you, if you, right. if you have like, if you've spent most of your life in white spaces and with white people, and your racial stress, your racial stress tolerance is low, um, you might be straight up afraid of other races, and yeah, like just sit with that for a minute. Maybe journal about it. Okay, we're moving on to number two. Um, <laughs> journal journal about it. <laughs> journal about it. Because <laughs> there's a lot of people in the world and you have to be like pretty intentional to not mingle with people who are not white if you are afraid of them. So 
figure figure that out um okay having black friends or asian friends or muslim friends or latinx friends does not mean you cannot be racist so also wait no let's spend time on that um this is something we hear all the time. We see this in Facebook comments and we see like, I swear we've heard like so Mr. Many, Trump say it too. Like, so, oh, I have a Jewish friend or something right. like that. Our love, I can't be anti-Semitic. No, exactly. No one loves Jewish people more than I do. Exactly. And that um, that's offensive and that cannot disqualify you from having ideas or actions that are going to isolate people or cause racial violence even in an unintended way. And we'll talk about that later. Um, also, side note, people of color can also be racist. So if you um, you might be a person of color who's sort of like trying to get into the system of white supremacy, and by doing that, you're sort of like kind of like appeasing the, the white people in power to like let you in. And there's, like, so much written about this. I wish I knew, like, a like a thing to Google about it. What do you mean? I, I mean, like, um, certain. So, like, let's say, let's say you're a racist person and you have one black friend. And you probably say racist things to them and the black friend may, like, of course, understand that it's racist and like feel shitty about it. But to get to where they want to be in life, to get more money or more like power or like just a better life for them, they might be like trying to they might be more of a um, what were we saying? Like uh, a reformist, not a revolutionary. Oh, so they yeah. might be like trying to get into the system and change it like from the way in instead of like revolting. Uh huh. So. um. In that sense, people of color can also like support the white supremacist system. Right. And in and in the same like idea, women can support a sexist system. Right, right. So that's something to like look out for. That just because you have a person of color that's your friend, like they might they might not be doing they might not be like the the person that you can go to when talking about racial justice because they also might be upholding the same system right you are right and i think i think that clearly happens with issues of sexism for sure mm -hmm. i think it's easy especially we do this in our culture so often where if you know if i'm a man and like you jasper is a woman hate another woman i just assume that that's correct because mm -hmm. you can't hate other women but of course you can right like who, what, what does that mean that you right. don't like this person? But I think that that's where a lot of like misogyny kind of comes from. And it totally applies to other groups of people. Mm -hmm. Like you, if like your black friend is telling you this one thing about issues of race or um, about black or African-American communities, like it's easy to be like, well, I've listened. Like I've done it. I've done yeah. my homework. I know now. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't mean that they're not also propagating certain systems that benefit them right. or that they themselves might not have been indoctrinated with this idea of like, this is how the system is, or this mm -hmm. is how the system should be. Um, That's not to say that like, if you have a person, if you're a white person, if you have like one or two or, you know, 15 or whatever 
friends who are people of color. It's not to say that they're friends with you because you're white and they're trying to get in better, but it's just like one thing to kind of comment that this this like world and these systems are very complex and it's not cut and dry. So just because you you are talking with certain communities or certain people that are in marginalized communities, they don't speak for the entire race. Right. And how like how you actually listen is to hear like a myriad of voices. And if you pay attention, you start to hear similar messages. And when one person like says something that's kind of like against the like what most other people are saying, then you can kind of be like, well, is this person, you know, like not accepting themselves and trying to distance themselves from their community because society tells them that their community isn't valid? Mm -hmm. Maybe. Right. But it gets complicated. So definitely like using, using like your couple people of color who are your friends as a way to say that you're not racist or that you're like listening to other people speak about their own life experience isn't cutting it. That's right. not good enough. Right. That's basically. Especially because we have the internet in front of us. We totally do. There's so okay. many resources. Are you? Oh, is that one of your points? Number, number three. There are. We'll get to that. So okay. number three, speaking up and being wrong or corrected is better than not speaking up at all. I literally read this to myself like before we pressed record because I was like, I don't want to say anything. I'm afraid to say it wrong. But that's okay. Right. Um, I'd rather be wrong and trying. And trying to get better and, and learn things. trying to get better, yeah, than being like avoidant and shut right. down. Because of, of fear of being wrong, which is the definition of white fragility. It totally is. So this is something that we talked a lot about before we did hit record on this was what can we say? What can we do? And kind of eventually we're like, let's just press record and and, and talk. Because if if it's something that we feel or if it's something that we we carry inside of us as a belief, then if we say it and someone corrects us, at least we're moving towards progress. We're 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 getting better. As yeah. opposed to like not saying it and then just staying in the same place. And that's also not to say that like we're here, so please like it is your responsibility to call us out because that's also not true. It is not anyone's responsibility to be like the champion for your group or for your social circle or for your identity. And if nobody calls us out, that doesn't mean that we were right. It just means that like, you don't have to take that emotional burden on. Mm -hmm. um, so again, turning it to like your one black friend or like your one female activist friend or your one Muslim friend, like, as as like the catch-all for what you should be doing in any given situation is unfair to them and also just not not really going to give you any clarity because it doesn't give you a large swath of experiences. Yeah. So if you don't belong to a marginalized racial group, you probably will say things wrong because you've been brought up in like a terrible system that oppresses others. So it's kind of like... Surprise. Yeah, you kind of have to like know that you're going to get called out and to just be ready to hear it. Right. And ready to apologize and ready to make your changes. Right. Um, but that being said, 
when you do something right, don't pat yourself on the back. Yes. That's something that uh, our friend, again, Liz Dean pointed out was all the people who like applauded themselves. Remember that like that clip with the guy who was like Skyping in on, like, CNN. on CNN and his kids come in. An interview. Right. He was on a video conference. Right. And then like and some people. children bust in. The, yeah. And so cute. They're so cute. And then like and then mama their comes mom comes in. to get them. And then a bunch of people thought it was the nanny. But then a bunch of people self-congratulated by saying, well, I didn't think it was the nanny. Right. Because like, she wasn't white. Right. And it's like you don't get an award for not being racist or sexist. Like mm-hmm. there is no gold star for you for not doing a shitty thing. Yeah. Like you just did a not shitty. You just didn't do the shitty thing. Yeah. But like. You don't get a gold star. No. I'm just going to keep going back to gold stars. No. No, um, no gold stars. No There's gold stars no for gold not, stars yeah. in not being racist. Right. Exactly. That's just how it's you should literally, be. I mean, okay. We'll get back to the list. But this is like really bothering me. The the like trivialization of of comments or of like, oh, just, you know, just I don't want to be called out or or tell me I'm a good person because I'm not. It's literal like okay there there are blood on my hands there are blood on on all white people's hands it's not this is not cute this is not it's not a silly issue and it's not anything that we need to be winning at right you can't like win Right. So for you to be so for you to make a comment like I didn't think this was a whatever racist, sexist thing that maybe other people thought does not mean you have any moral standing over anyone else. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It just it just means that you weren't shitty for maybe five seconds. Right. Perhaps. I don't know. The self-congratulations is is something now that that Liz pointed it out like I can't not see anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. whoa, we do this a lot where we just like, oh, well, I hired one black person. Cool for me. I fixed it. Or I didn't think that. So, hey, yay. It's like, no, there's a lot to still do. And it is not, it does not get solved by doing one good thing once. Yeah. It's like some people are so quick to, to kind of like systematically try to address the problem. Instead of like pausing and maybe having a moment to like listen and let it sink in, it's like, oh, if you, um, uh, if all the women that you hire leave your company twice as fast as the men, you might be doing something wrong. And then when one person like stays longer than a man, you're like, I did it. I fixed it. I did it. it this like race to like, be the best kind of like ally is really it's it's all then it's all about the ally again exactly it's, it's all about, about you changing anything right and, you didn't listen to any experiences you didn't consider like well what am i doing that's creating the system you're just yeah exactly you're trying to find like the easy it's like you're trying to find like the fastest line to two points and yeah, you're not considering like the fastest any- way to get out right. of it it's exactly. kind of the fastest way to not think about race again right exactly it's the fastest way to not think about any marginalization is attempting to fix it with some sort of trivial 
means of fixing Ugh. it. Okay, big picture. Racism has been around for centuries and centuries and centuries. And honestly, we've kind of dug ourselves into a terrible, terrible hole that we're like unwillingly like being dragged out of. So I'm only 27. It's only 2017. Um, the, you know, like our communities were segregated like <laughs> 60 years ago. This isn't, I'm never going to win. I'm, I am not going to be the person who fixes it. I'm not going to be the one who um, does it. It's never going to get checked off my list. So if I, if I like want to do a good job and if I want to be a person who's using my privilege to um, amplify others, this is going to be my whole life. And that's, that's kind of like, that's kind of like the wake up call. I think we're trying to prove here. Okay. That's true. Number four. If you want to be inclusive, you must first acknowledge that you discriminate. If you want to acknowledge your white privilege, you must accept that you do not deserve all of the opportunities you've been given. Oh my gosh. I don't deserve everything that I've been given. You don't deserve everything you've been given. Oh, you've been given special treatment. Yes, I've been given special. Oh, God, treatment. we both have for sure. But like. I feel like that's that's the one that so many people have so much trouble. A lot accepting. of anger comes up when you when you because you, you never because well, because uh, like, you know, our system in America is like you work hard to get to where you are. So when people get to where they are, they then make the logical fallacy that they deserved and worked hard to get there. But that that's, again, that's a logical fallacy. Just because you've gotten somewhere that you want to be does not mean that you worked hard to get there, nor that, nor that that's some of the things that made your pathway to getting there easier were not the result of like just anything Anything you weren't given unfairly. Mm -hmm. So, but again, people get real butthurt when you tell them that like they didn't deserve everything. Yeah. A lot of the ways that I contend with this is this idea of like loyalty. Um, some That's something that I've been taught a lot in like jobs and stuff or anytime I apply for a job, people are like, well, like we expect loyalty to this job or we like notice that you've been to, through a lot of jobs. Mm -hmm. And that seems to not, it doesn't resonate with people that like, of course I've been through a lot of jobs because I've been discriminated at a lot of jobs. Like why should I, like loyalty is easy oh. when you're given the opportunity to be good at your job. Ooh, I've never thought about that. Oh, I think loyalty is a heavily like racist and sexist quality. We'll talk, I want to talk about that on another podcast okay, episode. another podcast because that makes me, I have lots of long-term jobs but i also put up with shit for longer than i should have um all right number are we at five or something i think we're One, at two, five three, four, five okay being dedicated to diversity which is having many different kinds of people and inclusion which is the participation of diverse groups should be examined more because it often is used to invite others into white spaces we white people need to give up control of these white spaces or help create 
help to create non-white spaces. Mm-hmm. So this one, um, this one was fascinating to me. I was reading about it where people were saying, they were talking about the tech industry and they were saying like, oh, we need like more diverse groups of people to like be employed. And the entire assumption is that white men would still be in power and that you just want a bunch of people around you so that it looks good. Right. And that you don't actually want to change the system. You just want people of color to support what you're doing and to work for you, for you to get the credit still. Right. It's still not. And then when we do this in coffee, we say, we say things like how to hire for diversity, which is definitely, yes, absolutely. We want to do that. And the whole point of that is so that we can, I mean, the end goal should be that we're hiring for diversity. We are keeping those people employed because we're so good to them and so not discriminating against them. And they're able to like get promoted and then they're able to shape our entire company dynamics slash not make coffee such a white space only so that we can like accept and um, welcome in more customers to specialty coffee that have been turned off because we're exclusionary. Right. But what what ends up happening is that we we do that first step Mm -hmm. where we hire for diversity Mm -hmm. and then we stop. Yeah. We don't do anything else. We don't empower people who are of different races or backgrounds. We don't promote those people. We don't make it okay for them to say like, hey, like this is what I want to contribute to this company. And we don't, we ultimately, like you said, retain control. Yeah. We want to be constantly um, supporting the narrative that we want to support, but while still appeasing the guilt that we might feel about not including other groups by keeping them just where they are. Yeah. So, you know, help create some non-white spaces. And that by doing that, you are basically not the leader. Right. You're you are literally supporting. You're helping, you're taking direction from someone else. Right. You're like just helping out. Okay. Number 6. Just because your quote implicit bias, unquote, is unconscious, that doesn't mean you're blameless. Do not pretend to absolve yourself from guilt. So I hear this thing. It's like these words of like, and I say it, I say it too. Like, hey, you have unconscious bias. It's almost, it's like too nice of a thing to say. It's kind of like saying you are not to blame, but you do this terrible thing, but it's not your fault because you don't even know you do it. It's unconscious. It's like, it's like sugarcoating this terrible thing we all do and have. And I'd like to say, I don't think, I mean, maybe now we're so like steeped in denial that it's unconscious bias. But if you can think about like some experiences you have as a kid where you're first aware of like racial differences based on what adults say, like maybe children really are colorblind. Maybe not. Maybe Maybe that's not true. But I remember this one girl uh, in my, it was like a church group I was in and she was half white, half black. And I didn't, I mean, I knew, but it wasn't a thing I thought about. And then her, 
I heard her mother and my mother talking about, oh, I forget her name. Alyssa, I think. Anyway, she was like, I, uh, oh, she's, you know, she doesn't, it's so sad because she doesn't fit into any group. She doesn't fit in with the black girls. She doesn't fit in with the white girls. It's just so sad. Um, and I overheard her saying it and I was like, I'm, she fits in with us. Like we all hang out with her. What do you, like, what do you mean? So like, those were the very first times where I was like, kind of coming in contact with like what adults were saying about race and being like, what? No, that doesn't make sense to me. Um, and maybe that's naivety, but maybe that's like, I don't, I'm, I have trouble with the unconscious bias because you're just, it, it just feels like repressed bias. I think that's a better way to say it. Well, it's another way to just ignore the bias you have. Yeah. Which I think a lot of people are really good at doing. Yeah. It like allows you to avoid it when it's on you. Mm. Yeah. Like saying like you didn't know something. I mean, we don't do this with laws. You know, exactly like we don't know every single law, but if you break one of them, you can't tell the police like I didn't know like that doesn't work. Yeah. So why does that work in issues of race? It should. It doesn't. It, it doesn't. It sh- I mean, it shouldn't. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Unfortunately, it does, but it shouldn't. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty. I'm, I'm proud of that analogy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. OK, number seven. Okay, Understand that, quote, good people do and say racist shit all the time. Yeah. Racism is not a binary. So if you, you can't be like, I'm not racist. I'm a good person. Newsflash. You can still be racist and a good person slash. It, it's more like your concept of who you are. Racism is not always done with like. Malice or bad intention. Yes. 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 Right. And it's so. It's such a simplistic and almost insulting view of racism mm-hmm. to just pin it on a couple of bad people. It, compl- it it just trivializes race. It completely says to to people who have suffered marginalization their entire lives that it is just a couple of people mm-hmm. or it's just a bad like a bad egg or a bad seed. Like yeah. and that's something that we see in so many other arenas like you know in especially right now what's what's uh happening is in policing where we say like oh it's a couple of bad apples in the police and no it's a systemic indoctrination of like Mm -hmm. police for like i mean i think of this fucker jeff sessions he probably i don't know anything about him he probably has grandkids probably i'm presuming let's presume he has grandkids he probably treats them so nicely He's probably sweet to them. He probably get, gets them presents. He probably remembers their birthday. He's maybe a good grandpa. Maybe even a good dad. Maybe a good dad. I wouldn't go that far. We would just, <laughs> I'm just saying there are people. You can. Yeah. Uh, it's, the, it's like not one way or another. Right. Just because Jeff Sessions is clearly a racist, yes. which he is, doesn't mean that he is not good in other arenas. So when we interact with those parts of people, the good parts, it's easy for us to kind of ignore those, those bad parts and not speak up and not say anything or just completely write them off. Mm-hmm. Like, Oh, this person's a good person. So there's no way they could be racist or sexist, right. but that's not, 
that's not true and that's not accurate. It doesn't work that way. No, it doesn't work that way at all. It's like that. It's like it's it's a it's a verb, right? Or um, it's a it's an action. It's a constant action. It's not a state of being. Yeah, you are not a racist. You are not just always that person, or you're not. There's mm-hmm. no like one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Like it exists in everyone. It can be expressed in a lot of different ways, and it doesn't necessarily disqualify other parts of your life either. Mm-hmm. So that can be really I don't know it's such a reductive argument that people make and I don't understand how they can but it happens all the time like oh that's a good person so they can't be and you're like that's again another logical fallacy you would not have passed the LSAT if you use that (laughs) Um, yeah yeah do you have any more points yes number seven don't bring up stories to your friends that are people of color about how you aren't racist, like you deserve some pat on the back. So this is what Liz Dean was talking about. There's this thing called performative allyship. And it means that the performer of the allyship is like, look at what a good person I am. Like I'm doing everything right. And it's that is making your actions all about you, the ally. And that's just like, that's just pointless. Because then you're missing the you're missing the point. Um, yeah. If your true intention is to be a less fucked up white person, then drawing attention to your non-racist action is not a good start. Number eight. Learning about race does not mean asking all of your non-white friends to teach you. Right. <laughs> so we touched on that a little bit earlier, but... Um, so yeah. some some media that I have, like gone to is undocu media which is um mostly about immigrants and refugees and it kind of has been focusing recently on mexican latinx and muslim refugees and immigrants that's a really good one because i don't always know what those hardships are like because i was born in the u.s all Mm -hmm. my friends are mostly citizens and i never have to fear deportation and so there's like a whole world view and life experiences that I basically don't know anything about. So I'm learning about them. Um, I also like Afropunk, which is this like black, mostly like black in music. Mm -hmm. Um, And it kind of, I think it's, I think it's international. So that's, that's pretty good. Um, What else do I go on to? I, I follow a lot of like feminist stuff. So on Instagram, I really like Gorilla Feminism. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. me too. That one's really good. I think, and this, and I, and I've been kind of contending with this too. The idea that like I want to learn about the experiences of a lot of people, but there are issues that I care about perhaps more than others. So something that I'm really interested in is prison reform. So I've been listening to a lot of podcasts recently about wrongful convictions and about um, how how much police forces protect police officers and make it so that police can really abuse their power, especially against marginalized groups. Um, so I've been listening and also I like listening to podcasts, obviously, cause I make podcasts. Um, so I've been listening to this one called undisclosed and it's really breaking down the Freddie gray case right now, which has been completely blowing my mind. Cause so much of that wasn't reported on. Um, and then I kind of 
listen to, I also uh, read a lot of the Marshall project, which is about like prison reform as well. Um, because that is an issue that disproportionately affects black and Latino men also specifically. So I've been thinking a lot about that because, you know, I think a lot about feminist issues, but there are issues that affect men in marginalized groups more so than, than women. Oh yeah. So I've been thinking, um, just a lot about like what prison reform really means. Yeah. But I mean, you guys are smart. It's out, Google, it's out there. Google, like, Google it. exist. Ugh, it's just so easy to be like best activist material for Asian people. And then I swear there's like a BuzzFeed list on it. Right. <laughs> you will find something. There will be something there that you can read. And if you don't believe whatever that person is saying, like there's another thing you can read. You can collect information on lots of different people and lots of different writers are willing to share their experiences. Yeah. So for me, when I was like understanding more like, oh, the voices I hear like affect my worldview and affect, affect the way that I treat other people, I kind of instead of like this to do list is good. But if you have this to do list like not integrated in your life, it's not going to be very helpful. So what I did was I went on to my who do I follow on Instagram? How many of these people are queer? How many of these people are women? How many of these people are black and Latino and like all these things? And I kind of like saw the holes. And it wasn't until like, it wasn't until after the election where I was specifically like, I don't know anything about immigration. Yeah. Not knowledgeable about that. So I had to like purposefully add that in and then it's on my feed so it's just constantly it's part just of your life part now. of my life now yeah how so, easy was that so easy and um and then if it was like for me like now that i'm more aware i kind of like see stuff that is a little fucked up and i just unfollow because um there's enough out there in the world that i am exposed to for me to like filter out like oh this is not a good thing or like this is offensive for these reasons so if i'm seeing that on like my personal feed and like in my facebook um feed i just don't i just don't want that right. <laughs> i would rather feel like happy and good about the world or about like the people i'm hearing the voices i'm hearing and not constantly feel like i have to edit the voices that i'm listening to in my head is there anything else in your list? Number nine. This is the last one. If you manage to grow your emotional tolerance of racial issues, which is we hope is what you'll do, do not white explain to non-white people when talking about race and do not go online and aggressively hashtag to prove how not racist you are. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it is wonderful that we're seeing more um, more people getting involved in more intersectional issues. We're seeing like more white people getting to talk about immigration stuff or more like Asian people talking about um, anti-black laws. And like, that's really good. And it's good to do that because it's good when we all amplify each other's voices, but it is particularly harmful. And again, it goes back to the history where white people have had the exclusive exclusive domination of the conversation about race when you look at like scientific books and medical books it's just like all written by white people so if you and your new like high emotional tolerance for race feel like you can go into 
spaces where marginalized people are talking about their experiences and then talk to them like you know more, you're just going to be like re-injuring. You're going to be doing the exact same thing that you're trying not to do. So a good a good thing to um, keep in mind is to just shut your fucking mouth. <laughs> right. And listen. Oh, here's another person. Um, she's on Instagram. Her name is Jill is Black. And her whole like her focus, her audience is to black people. But I follow her anyway and I don't comment ever. And, but I read the comments because they're very enlightening to me. And honestly, a lot of um, people go and fight with her on her on her comment page. And I just like read it quietly and learn a lot. <laughs> you can make a comment like great job. Um, I choose not to because a lot of her posts are like, this is for all you white folks out there that think you have a place in my comment section. Like, don't okay. comment. That's so, fair. So, I so then you don't. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. This is not for you. It, it's not for me. It's not for me. So what happens if you do mess up, Jasper? Oh, man. You. This is something that. When we asked people what they wanted us to talk about on this uh, episode, one of our commenters mentioned how to apologize. And that is not something that we necessarily are 100% comfortable knowing how to do. We, I think it's to apologize. I think it's just to apologize. Yeah. Um, and not to get defensive. And not to like try to explain why, why? you're right it about doesn't matter. whatever you said. If they're calling you out, the best thing to do is like say, thank you for spending the time to call me out. I am sorry. And then like really, really be sorry. And right. you probably will be. You'll probably be fucking mortified. Right. And you'll probably be embarrassed. And you'll probably be ashamed. You'll probably be hurt. And just instead of talking about how embarrassed and hurt and mortified you are. listen to the person. Listen. Say you're sorry. Maybe get a, another like white friend to be like, I said this thing and I'm really upset about it. But to like kind of project all those feelings on to that person who is spending the time to talk to you about it is kind of missing the point once right. again. So try to do your best, hear it. And as you're getting uncomfortable and squirming and wanting to crawl into your bed, just be like, this is the part of my life where my my tolerance to racial stress is rising and it's a good thing. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. And whatever you do, please do not apologize with that like pseudo apology of like, I'm sorry you were offended by this. Because mm -hmm. that's, you are not telling that person that their feelings are wrong. When you when you say something like that, that's what you're doing. You're saying like, I'm sorry that you had a reaction to this. Like, no, they were correct in their reaction because you said something that was hurtful or that was racist or that hurt their community. So don't trivialize those feelings. That's not what's happening. When someone tells you that you were wrong, Accept that you were wrong and do better next time. Yep. It's learn from really it. Really simple. Really it's, try to learn from it. Right. They're doing you a favor. It can be really hard and that's okay. But really try to do better next time. And again, we're might, we might not get any of this right. <laughs> we're going to make mistakes. We're all going to make mistakes as we're kind of trying to be better advocates 
and better allies and better humans. Humans. And this is a hard conversation to have. I still feel a little bit at a loss trying to figure out how to present myself and my worldview as like, I want to be a better human because it's, it's, it's personal, but it affects others. And now I'm rambling, but because <laughs> it's, it's just so, it's so easy to get lost in. But remembering that, you know, we're here to help everyone do better and be better. If you care about diversity, if you care about amplifying other people's voices, then just take a minute, meditate, journal, mm-hmm. and think about how you can be better. Yeah. And <laughs> it's not going to all happen in one day. <laughs> you know day. what I would love? I would love um, if someone is like trolling online, if people just start posting this episode to them, like, listen to this. <laughs> that would be awesome. And then <laughs> yeah, that would be a dream come true. I would like to hear more of like people admitting they're wrong. I'd like to hear stories of that, of like times where like people like messed up because I think there's a vulnerability to admitting you're wrong, but I also think it makes it, it, it unmasks this idea that like we don't talk about race or sex or anything like that. Um, and it starts to really strip down these barriers that we've put in front of these issues, just admitting like these things happen and we're wrong and we're learning more about them. Um, as opposed to like sweeping them under the rug. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like I've been wrong before too, where I've assumed that when I've been called out on like a lack of representation in some of the media that I've been part of that, like I took it as an attack on me and that was wrong. So mm-hmm. having that moment to be wrong and then listen to people who were willing to tell me why it was wrong, um, which they didn't have to do was really helpful and advantageous to me. And it made me really contend with what I do on this podcast and in my writing um, and what I can do to do better and make diversity an actual priority as opposed to like a priority that I like say and don't do anything about. Right. Um, or a word you use because it's like right popular. So it's like more marketable. Right. <laughs> so I'm 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 interested in in more people sharing stories of of being wrong. Yeah. But you know, do what you want with this episode. Like oh, I can't man. tell you we can't tell you to do anything. I'm like we're like, here to help. We're here to listen, but like <laughs> I'm just I'm just throwing my hands up. Uh sometimes things can seem a little futile sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. and there are definitely moments of my day where I'm like, why am I doing what I do? Like why does it matter? Why does anything matter? The world is stupid, but it does matter. And that's why I have Jasper in front of yes. me. Yes. We're strong and we're powerful and we're making a difference. And um, yay, we won racism. Yay. We beat it. <laughs> Just kidding. Please respond to us and tell us what you think about anything. Thank you for listening again. Oh, always. Thank you. Thank you for being excited about um, thank what you for- we have to say and for sharing us with your people. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be... You're our people. Yeah, you're our people. You really are. And if you feel like we're not talking to you, please tell us and we will because... We want to talk to you. We want to talk to you. Um, this has been... Unless an, you're a white man who doesn't think race exists or something like that. We don't want to talk to you. <laughs> we will talk to you though. We will respond. Yeah, we respond we to all the will. emails. So um, we will have a conversation with you. Um, you might be wrong and that's okay. 
but we'll tell you if you're wrong. Um, but we might be wrong and we're willing to hear that too. Mm -hmm. So this has been a very, very special episode of boss barista. I feel because we've just, I feel like we've just run the gamut of emotions, but yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode of boss barista. I'm Ashley Rodriguez. I'm Jasper wild. Goodbye. Bye fuckers. Oh, goodness. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha.